United States of Lead is an informative podcast that may contain sensitive material and the occasional F-bomb. Listener discretion is advised. United States of Lead, a podcast about crime, mental decline, and the history of lead poisoning. This week, Paul and I are joined by Dr. Mark Laidlaw, who has a degree in geology, a PhD in environmental science, with over 20 years experience in environmental consulting and research. He's co-authored over 30 peer-reviewed articles, and his research mainly is regarding metals and health. Welcome from Sydney, Australia, again, or near Sydney, Australia. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again for joining us. We know the time difference is a little different from here in the United States, so we appreciate you taking the time out of your morning to join us. Well, thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. And before we started, you did mention that you guys had an election yesterday. Um, Yes. And for us Americans, we were a little surprised. A, it was on a Saturday, and that it's mandatory, you just explained to us, which I thought was something that we need to do here too. Yeah. Yeah. $55 fine for not voting. Has it always, I mean, since you've lived there, has it been like that? Yes, it has. Yeah. Interesting. That's like five people going to the movie. Like, do you want to throw away, throw away a fun night or do you just want to, just want to do your civic duty. (laughs) They should offer popcorn. Yeah. They have a really healthy democracy over here. It's just nice. Yeah. Must be interesting seeing the news from here, Corinne. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> polarized. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Um, <laughs> if you could just share with us what got you into the field of researching lead poisoning. Oh, sure. Basically, it started when with my senior thesis in geology, my former advisor, Dr. Charles Ritter at the University of Dayton, in 1983, he had done a study where he looked at metal concentrations in soils and he associated them with PM10 concentrations at a bunch of air particulate monitoring stations. He did that in 83. And in 93, I went back and repeated the soil analysis at those locations and found that lead had not increased, but all the other metals had increased. So it got me thinking about atmospheric metals and soil and lead. For my master's at IUPUI in Indianapolis, I did a study where I I sampled soils, 120 soil samples across Marion County, Indiana, or Indianapolis. And what I found is that there was a bullseye pattern of lead in the uh, city 
really high concentrations in the inner cities and decrease with distance away. And what happened is uh, there was a, an article that came out in Nouveau magazine that showed the distribution of children's blood blood levels in Indianapolis. And it showed almost the exact same pattern as the soil lead concentrations. Wow. And this was back in, um, I think, 97 or something. And people at the time, there wasn't a lot of studies on urban soil lead concentrations. And so it got me thinking that there was an association between soil lead concentrations and children's blood blood levels. But uh, the prevailing wisdom was that lead paint was the main cause of the lead poisoning. So that got me thinking about lead further than my bachelor's degree research. We had Tim Pye on from LEAP, the Lead Alliance. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he was bringing up how he had tested the soil outside his place and he couldn't believe how high the levels were. And we did an episode briefly on soil, but it didn't seem to be that significant. And it did focus a lot on, you know, your highways and gas stations, you know, where leaded gas used to be, but that was kind of, it seemed pretty brief. But I wanted to ask regarding the lead in the soil. Yeah. Does it have to do with lead paint going into the soil? Is it more specifically leaded gas? Well, that's a really good question. Yeah, it's really both. What you have is you have lead paint in the older homes deteriorated on the exterior that drops down to the soil and it decays with distance away from the house. And then you also have past use of lead and leaded gasoline, which decays away from roadways. So if you could imagine in the older areas of the inner cities, which had a lot of the traffic, so they had a lot of the leaded gasoline particles or the lead particles distributed in um, inner cities. And then in the inner, inner cities, you have all the old homes, which were covered with lead paint and they deteriorated. So basically over time, you've had this lead contaminated soil dust, which has been moved around through wind. So you end up having like a bullseye pattern in, in many cities with soil lead concentrations highest in the inner city would decrease with distance away as you go towards the suburbs. So yeah. I feel like I've heard this a number of times locally where I live. I know there have been a few projects in the city that have been proposed and explored, and then they've come back and said, we actually can't do this because we'd be digging up too much of the soil and releasing too many contaminants. Is that a real thing? I I think the problem is uh, it's very expensive to dig up soil and dispose at the landfill. I don't know if digging it up is causing a lot of exposure itself, but it's a lot easier to prevent exposure or cheaper to just cover the contaminated soil with a geotextile and then cover it with clean soil and grow grass on it. Is grass the, uh, does that put it back into, I guess, the system or put it back into the ecosystem in a, in a more healthy well, way? Well, if you, if you cover it with a geotextile mm-hmm. and then you put like 10 centimeters of soil and you grow grass, it's just a barrier to the underlying contaminated soil. Mm-hmm. So the problem is it's just so expensive and there's so much cost involved in digging up lead contaminated soil. I actually was a co-author of a paper where we uh, argued that 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 is one viable solution. Is the removal of it? Just the 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 covering it up. Yeah, basically. Not the just covering up, but the, yeah, intentionally, strategically covering it up. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. My question was going to be related to climate change. 
Okay. And with the increased wind activity, is there anything in regards to, you know, further distribution related to that, especially in like dry areas where? Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. I mean, you, you, with higher temperatures, you could have more dust and more mm -hmm. resuspension of lead contaminated soil in inner cities, but that's going to occur gradually over time. Okay. Um, yeah. Mark, kind of jumping into the deep end, do we have all the studies that we need in order to really assess what's going on? Or is there something, is there some missing piece to this lead issue that we have to iron out in order to like definitively say like, this is a problem? I feel like there's a- Yeah. Okay. That's a really good question. Do we have everything that we need or do- uh, That's, yeah, that's yeah. a great question. What we need to do is we need a, a soil mapping program where we go in and we collect the soil samples at a high density across the city. You, you could use what is known as a XRF, which is a really cheap way to do it. So you go ahead and map it and find out the areas where are higher risk than others and go ahead and, and cap or remediate the areas with the highest concentrations first. The British have a program where they mapped a lot of their cities at a high density. I think it's one per square kilometer or so. And uh, that would be a good model as to what could be done in the United States. They've already done it for a lot of their cities. We haven't done it any at all. See, all the work that's been done has been done by academics with hardly any money whatsoever. And, and it's only been patchy. There's cities like Chicago and I guess Indianapolis and... Um, Milwaukee, I know, is one of the biggest in as far as children with lead poisoning. Yeah. And um, there's also um, New Orleans has been mapped as well. But there's a lot of cities that could be inexpensively mapped and they could find the areas where there are very high concentrations of lead. So when you say inexpensively mapped, how would you approach a value proposition with this? Basically, what I'm trying to say is how would we get an enterprise how would we get dollar signs, someone who, who sees things in dollar signs and making cash? Like, yeah. How can we get a return on, you know, if we did this? And so it costs X dollars to remediate this. And there's a return on the investment for whatever in public safety and public health. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Increase commerce and tax revenue, blah, 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 blah. Like how... well, the workforce, I would even think, you know. Well, yeah, I think you... it's just the savings in, in health. You know, if you look at all yeah. the outcomes associated with low level blood levels, somebody could calculate, you know, based upon the known blood lead distribution and the outcomes and the costs associated with those. And then you can compare it to, I mean, just the cost of, you know, renting a XRF or, or owning an XRF. And one thing that was has been done in some areas is they're having uh, the public go ahead and send their soil samples into like a university who has uh, XRF and the university hire, um, uses has some funds and they go ahead and do the analysis on the soil samples that come in in plastic bags. So that's that's a way to be done. That's been done in Australia and Gabe Filippelli at IUPUI University has done that in Indianapolis. Hmm. He has a program where he's doing that internationally where people send in their soil samples and I think he analyzes it for free. Wow. I don't know if they could do the whole country, but I know that right now they're doing it for free. Wow. Yeah. 
So that actually just made me think too, because we know that people in certain fields of work are higher at risk. And I just started thinking about people in construction. Yes. But I don't ever hear about the association with soil. So let's say, you know, people who are doing road work or rebuilding highways. Is there anything related to an increased blood lead levels of people who do that type of construction? I'm not aware of any studies like you. People who have deal with roadside soils, but I think one needs to be done. Um, But construction workers, yeah, are at a higher risk. I mean, there's lead paint and lead in construction. It's just there's so many, yeah, yeah, areas where they can be, yes. Yeah. And actually, so that was another thing is I don't know if uh, you read into the Biden-Harris lead removal for pipes and paint. I don't, I'm wondering if there was anything related to soil. Do you feel like this is an exposure of lead that's kind of not highlighted enough? Uh, exactly. See, one of the other questions you're going to ask me is one of the major concerns I have. Mm-hmm. And that's because uh, one of the, a lot of the research I've done has to do with something called blood lead seasonality. And when you look at children's blood lead, when you average them in a city by month, and you look at it over time, they peak in the late summer and the autumn. Basically, they go up and then they, and they go down towards the winter. This is repeated all throughout the United States and through time. And so this points to, see, we did a study in Detroit where we showed that these peaks of children's blood lead in the summer were also at the same time, the soil dust showed the same pattern and so did the air lead concentrations. So basically, and that's one of the um, papers which I attached so basically, that points to resuspension of lead-contaminated soil as one of the major causes of lead poisoning in America. That's and yeah, crazy. yeah. And see, people, a lot of people have a paradigm that lead paint is the main cause, but lead paint is indirectly associated with blood lead seasonality because the lead in the exterior paint deposits in the soil, and that gets kicked up in the air in the summertime. And so it's kind of complex, but. So let's say somebody, their blood lead level peaks in the summer, but then your child Mm. who's two doesn't get tested till January, February. Yeah, exactly. What happens is you be under the impression that it's lower. Is is lower, yeah, and uh, compared to what it might be in August, might be higher. And they're outside of school at that point. That's the least likely time for an American child to be tested. Is the least likely time for. That's a good point. I never thought of that. Yeah. So the other thing I was going to ask, because we've seen this, but there was a study with somebody who had the blood lead level was lower than what was in their bone. Okay. Do you know, as far as with testing, that there could be more blood in somebody's system that isn't being recognized from just a blood lead level test? Well, I think it's possible to have previous lead exposure and then the lead exposure stop and the current blood lead level is not uh, as high. And then the lead being stored in the bones, that's a possibility. But lead storage in the bones is a problem for females because when they become pregnant, the lead is released. It's remobilized because the baby needs the calcium from the bones. And, okay. Uh, see, yeah, we, so. yeah, we didn't. Whoa. <laughs> I wish people could see Paul's reaction right now. Cause I'm having that mentally, but he physically showed the reaction. I'm <laughs> yeah. It's the double whammy. Yeah. It's a concern. 
Well, and I mean, because Tim brought up too one of his big concerns with women in miscarriages and how that's not brought up really at all. I mean, because like even just adult led exposure risks in general are kind of brushed under the table, it seems. But you brought up in your notes preeclampsia. Yes. Which I'd never, well, I might have and just completely forgot because my memory is terrible, but I don't recall seeing that as a connection. And I mean, I don't know anybody who's checking a pregnant woman with preeclampsia for their lead levels. Yeah, I I don't think they are. Preeclampsia, the features are high blood pressure and protein in the urine, and it causes birth complications. And basically about 50,000 women die across the world every year and 500,000 babies die from preeclampsia, not all because of lead or anything, but we did a uh, meta-analysis of blood lead levels and preeclampsia and found a very strong relationship. And then another um, meta-analysis came out recently and basically found the same thing. And so it's a big concern in Africa and in areas where Africa and the Middle East have moderate to high lead levels, but it doesn't appear to be as big of a concern in Western countries that have low, generally low blood levels, uh, like the United States and Australia. But it, it's, it's a big concern and more research needs to be done. From the research you have, is there a specific level where you do see an increase? Uh, yes, it's five micrograms per deciliter. That yeah. low? Wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's scary. Um, (laughs) The question I want to ask is if I'm a politician and I say lead is part of my platform, how would you know that I'm not full of it? How would you know that I'm the real deal? What would you be looking for as an academic? What would you be looking for in someone who's saying like, nope, we're going to tackle this in the next four years. And that can be just in just government periods, either in the United States or the Western countries or Australia specifically. What would you be looking for? I I would want a a plan to (laughs) map. Uh, (laughs) Not just rhetoric. You don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. A plan to map and cap the inner cities where the soil lead concentrations are high. Basically, maybe modeled on the British program. That would be a really good start. That's as an academic. It's just a person. What do you think is the most easy for people to wrap their head around? As a dude, it's just, I mean, a cis hetero dude from America. I didn't know what preeclampsia was until uh, earlier today (laughs) when I was talking to Andrea about it. Yeah. So, like, what do you think either is just interesting or what's the thing that's going to really turn heads to get people to actually take note of this or want it? I think you uh, go ahead and map the cities where the mm-hmm. soil lead concentrations are high and you make those maps available for everybody to see and you publish them so, so people can see where uh, these you know contaminated zones are and who is being exposed to these lead in the soil oh i wonder and if you wonder if you did that it could easily become tied to housing value yeah, more more oh. public, more public could be a negative start, feedback loop. Start demanding like, no, yeah. we we need this out of Eden Prairie. Like, <laughs> yeah. if we map yeah. Eden Prairie, yeah, 
which mm-hmm. has a lot of millionaires. I think it has the large, I think that's where all the millionaires live in Minnesota. Uh, you wouldn't yeah. find much lead there. Okay. <laughs> no, it's always like the areas where you had the highest historical volume of cars yeah. and um, in the past and where you had the old old homes and they're covered with lead paint. Those areas coincide and that's the areas that are most of risk. I was thinking even with their airport, but yeah, yeah, I know you're right. Yeah, I guess the airports too, I didn't even think about with how much exposure there is there. That is all the time we have for this week's episode of United States of Lead. Tune in next week for part two of our interview with Dr. Mark S. Laidlaw. Until then, check out the sources linked below in the episode description for more information on the topics we discussed. And we will talk to you all next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to United States of Lead, hosted by Andrea Elizabeth and Paul Kramer. Just a quick disclaimer, Andrea and Paul are not experts in lead poisoning. We do ask that you check our sources and read up a little bit more on your own. Thanks again for listening.